Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome back. Today, our guest on the Future Thinkers podcast is Miriam Martineau, who is a counselor, a teacher, and the founder of Next Step Integral. For the last 15 years, she's studied and researched parenting as a spiritual practice. Miriam and her husband, Stefan, also lived in an intentional community called Morning Star for 10 years, from 92 to 2002, which they founded in rural BC, Canada. In this episode, we're going to talk about the practical aspects of running an intentional community, attracting the right people in the early stages, and dealing with bad actors, as well as raising children to adopt the values of community. For all the links and show notes, go to futurethinkers.org slash 134. And to get access to the full podcast episode, group calls, courses, and lots of other great features, become a member at futurethinkers.org slash members. And before we get into the show, we have an announcement about the Smart Village project. The deal to purchase the property where we were hoping to build the village unfortunately fell through, so now we're back to the land search. We're still looking for land in the Kootenays, BC, Canada, and we've created a form for crowdsearching the land at futurethinkers.org slash landsearch. At the top, there is a link to a presentation about the project and also the detailed criteria of what we're looking for. If you know of any suitable properties for sale in the Kootenays area, especially those that are not publicly listed, you can help us out by filling out that form. Okay, now let's get into the show. Miriam, thank you for joining us. It's great to have you. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you for bringing me in. Yeah, so a lot of questions today. Um, I'd love to pick your brain about uh, kind of the practical aspects of running a community. You ran one called Morning Star for 10 years. And, uh, you know, we'd, we'd love to ask you about your, your reflections on that. Um, so do you want to start with a stronger question there yes <laughs> yes <of> slow start. <laughs> well um the first question that i'm most interested in is uh what did you find was kind of the unexpected really good thing about running a community and the unexpected bad thing that most people don't really think about okay The unexpected good thing. I mean, there were a lot of unexpected good things, although we were expecting good things too. I would say probably the most profound one, and I think it had quite a lot to do with our intention at the start. And I, I would say um, large doses of grace. I actually think um, a lot of it was not up to us. But um, it, and so our intention, maybe I'll backtrack a little bit. Our intention was in a way twofold. One was... We were building a community based on a very clear sense and vision that Stefan, my husband, had had, that there is a, an untapped potential, a collaborative potential, when people come together, really resting in their true self, that there is an other in the midst that can um, emerge, um, that is more than the sum total. So if you have 10, it's not just 10 people, it's actually 10 plus. Um, so, you know, that can sound a little esoteric and in a way maybe it is. And yet in the first few weeks, we, we felt like we literally entered that collective state together. Um, so at the, very much at the onset, that's why I say I feel like there was a lot of intention. There was a lot of care put into the, the beginning of the community. But, but the fact that it felt like it landed, like we actually got a real taste of being both sovereign and being together. And then this, this, this other presence being there that felt like it had its own will, its own intelligence, um, 
its own direction and that we could be in relationship to it, that actually felt like grace, you know? And, and it's interesting because it, it happened for the first, I'd say around two weeks, you know, maybe because we were all so eager and here we go and we kind of launched. And then after that, I'd say the next decade in a way were a journey of unpacking, trying to um, get clear on what are the ingredients, what's the recipe for that to happen so that it doesn't just remain a state that comes and goes and, um, and can be a bit more predictable and that we can work towards, it can become more of a stage. And so that was a lot of then the inquiry you know, over a, a decade of experimenting different practices and methods. But yeah, I would say that was maybe the the the, the best, you know, and, and of course we tapped into that here and there at other, other times in other formations and configurations. Um, as far as what was maybe, I don't know how you said the hardest or the, the least fun. Um, like all in all, it was a really good experience. I'll, I'll, I actually want to say that because you hear so many stories of communities falling apart and it's, it's hard and it, it's a disappointment. It didn't, it didn't feel like that for us. It actually was a very graceful unfolding at the end and a really conscious step we took, which we can get to if you want later on. Um, I'd say maybe the piece that felt the most burdensome was that over time it felt that... Um, if Steph, Steph and I were kind of like the mom and the papa of the community and, uh, and we were really hoping that it would be held more fully by others with a similar degree of commitment and capacity and passion. And um, yeah, so I think that was maybe over time what felt like a, a piece that we wish could have changed. And then, of course, back to what I said was the best part was it felt like we were hitting, a, a, in, in a way, a ceiling, as in we kept, you know, finding that collaborative potential as a state experience, but we weren't able to shift it over into a stage. And that, in a way, is why we're still in the inquiry and still at it in other ways um, to this day, because it feels like a, a code that needs to get cracked for the future of humanity to actually have a path forwards. Can you explain the difference between a stage and a state? Yes. So a state in, in my experience and, and um, also building on integral theory is it's fleeting. It's, it's, it's like we enter and exit different states of consciousness throughout the day, you know, even from sleepy to awake or alert or excited or downtrodden or disappointed. So there's an emotional quality also to a lot of states. Um, and they come and they go. So if you have a deep meditation, you can feel like you're in a very awakened, connected state. Um, if you've just had some emotional turbulence, you might feel like in a much more regressive state of consciousness so the, but the big thing is they come and go and i i've often likened uh, a heightened state to be one you know whether that's through spiritual practice or through um well a whole bunch of other possible methods but it, it's like getting picked up and put on the top of a mountain or somewhere higher up the mountain and you get gifted with this view with this experience of what's possible and in a way it's a it's a lived experience of a potential that is inherent in you or between you and others 
Um, but then the state, because it's fleeting, it, you know, it comes and then it goes. And so then um, while you can gain insight and um, enthusiasm and inspiration from a state, you end up back on the path that you're, you know, it's, it's almost like we're walking up a mountain and each of us is somewhere along that path. And so after the state has gone, you end up where you are actually at on the path, which is the stage, which is the much more the structure of consciousness that you have attained through your growing up, your maturing, your integration, your, your life practices. Um, yeah, so stage would be, you know, it's often likened to like, once you've learned how to ride a bike, you don't usually unlearn it. Like that could be like, it's, it's, it's a developmental place that you've reached that you can rely on. Um, and then I think with states and stages, it's interesting to consider heightened ones, but also ones that we can regress to, which we often forget. When we're talking community, we often think of together, you know, the, 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 the more brilliant times. But if you want to be um, discerning around community, then you also want to notice what, how, how, how low will people fall under duress? You know, one of my mantras over the last few years in contemplating community and our human capacity is, can someone be decent under duress? I think it's really important question and as important as how conscious is someone and they don't always go together interestingly mm -hmm. my curiosity about this is is that the goal of a community like this to kind of graduate people through stages um and you know how would a community approach doing something like that and should it be? I, really, that's that's kind of my first question, is should it be the goal? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I don't think there's one answer to it. I actually think it depends, right? Because community can exist for all kinds of reasons. You know, my husband was um, helping build a co-housing community just north of where we live. And that is basically, it has some intention to it. It's a wonderful neighborhood, but it's not trying to reach... Um, you know, it's not trying to, to tap into evolving our collaborative potential. I mean, it is doing it in some ways, but it's really, it's, it, it's really coming together around some shared values and creating a beautiful neighborhood together. So I think, I think the, the why, why does one engage in communities is a really important question. What is the aim? And there can be many. And it's, it's so important to be attentive to what it is so that you're not setting yourself up for expectations that, you know, you didn't even have at the onset and they just kind of crept in upon you. The, the reason we've been so interested in community, I mean, partly I think it's just, you know, when Steph and I met, we were in our early 20s and independently of each other, we had both had the sense that the way into the future is through collectives learning how to collaborate and evolve together without losing their sovereignty. And we had seen versions where there's a very strong sense of the collective, but if you would speak to the individuals, it felt like there had been a loss in, in the individual. There'd been a, a bowing down to a dogma or a teacher or a teaching or um, a, a religious path, for example. Um, so it felt like when you spoke with the individual, it's like, where are you? Like, where are your thoughts? You're always just quoting the book or the teacher. And then we also um, had had experiences and we did uh, two kind of pilgrimages then in the next two decades where we visited a lot of communities. And that was again, repeated this 
sense that there's also communities where the individuals are very strong, quite empowered and, and sovereign and sort of living their life, but they're struggling hugely to have a sense of togetherness, you know, and that down to simple things like they would say, we try to have a weekly meditation together and we do it, but no one ever shows up. And, you know, that, that you, so you'd have this, this, this pulse and that pulse. And our sense was always, um, there's a third way. And that feels like the breakthrough that we haven't seen happen much and we have not yet seen it. And so if anyone listening knows of where it's happening as a stage, please let me know um, because we have experienced it as a state. We think it's possible and very necessary as a stage. Uh, but like I said, we, we haven't come across it yet. We're working on, on helping create it. And that is where there is this deep sense of coherence amongst people and shared intention and shared values and a shared path. But there is no loss whatsoever in the sovereignty of each individual, if anything, uh, the uniqueness of each person is even um, uplifted and encouraged. And so it is, it's, it's like a third path in a way. It's not this, it's not that, it's something else. And one of the keys that we did discover ourselves, and I'm sure many other people have discovered, is that the, in, in, in our experience, the only way to get to that third way is actually through um, spiritual growth and and, and and maturation in your intrapersonal discernment, like in your knowing who you are, where are you coming from in any moment, because it actually takes you resting in your true self or your authentic self or your essence or how, whatever word you might want to give that. But that aspect of yours that is not defined by your biography, that is not um, identified with being separate from others and yet is intrinsically and uniquely itself. So that that non-rivalrous, deeply present self is, is when, when we're there, it seems to be the key to being able to be fully present with others, listening for the threads of truth and joy and um, collaborative potential without getting into the rivalrous, even if very subtle and very sophisticated me against you, that kind of crashes the whole thing. Um, and allows each person to really thrive and flourish for who they are. Uh, so, so yeah, that's one of the big keys. And it takes, it, it takes usually uh, quite a bit of maturing for us to get to that intrapersonal discernment of who am I, where am I coming from in any moment to recognize that, not to have it nailed perfectly, but when it matters in a sense to to uh, leave the ego habits um, at the door or if they if they roll in to have a um, an effective practice of how to work with them so they don't sabotage the the uh, the effort the collective effort hmm. yeah what you're pointing to um, it seems very alien in western society i don't think that it's a common uh, thing to see that kind of you know people being fully expressed in in what they are while also not being in a lot of competitive dynamics you know you see a lot of you know self-expression maybe with artists um, but there's other dynamics in play where they are competing for attention and they are often trying to be you know weirder to outdo each other and you know gain more audience members or something like that so it's um, it's hard to imagine a person like that. But if you could point to somebody who embodies that, um, 
Can you maybe give some examples of what that looks like? You know, I, I, I feel like it would be worth all of us, myself, you guys, and whoever's listening to really consider, because I think we have accessed it as a state. Humanity has, has actually tapped into that as a state. So I, and while I can think of it, you know, I, I'll name one person after I've finished this, um, who I, I feel quite confident was really embodying that. He, he just died quite recently, but, um, but I, I actually want to make it a more normal in a way. Like, yes, it's not uh, common and yet it's very accessible. It's not, and this is something I always challenge myself too, because it's easy to think of it like far away over on another continent. It's going to take my life to get there. And yet in my experience, it, it literally is this, this it's, it's a remembering. It's already like that capacity already exists in all of us. And it's, it's much more like this tiny little shift of remembering it um, and coming home to that. So I would imagine that each of us within ourselves and in people we have witnessed have, have seen and noticed it as a state, you know, and, and some of the pointers would be, when were you last feeling fully alive um, without being concerned about what other people are thinking about you? In, in, in a way, a sense of freedom of, you know, and it could, it could have been just been a moment where you just danced wildly in the living room or where you stretched out and breathed fresh air when you stepped outside or when you were so engaged in a conversation or working on a project with someone that what you were doing really came alive and in a way you forgot that self-concern that is so much part of feeling separate from one another um, or where you cared more about something working then about was it you or the other person who made it work um so i i i would in a way like to challenge us all to consider when we felt that within ourselves and when we've noticed it in other people as a state um just to bring it a little closer that that while it, it does sound alien it it's not that far away and then the uh person that i i do think was just such a beautiful embodiment of it was um, this uh, Benedictine monk called Father Thomas Keating that Stefan and I had the uh, honor of interviewing. It was on one of our, our pilgrimages where we were traveling around and visiting a lot of communities. And so that was in 2003, I think. But he, he really felt like he was embodying a he, he was himself and there was not this even subtle sense of rivalry. Like he was caring so deeply about humanity um, and holding in a way both the deep love for us humans as we are now and this in a way stretching hope, uh, you know, evolutionary spirit of and we can become more, we can become more generous, more loving, more kind, more embodied, more present to one another and to nature and to this whole cosmic adventure we're on. Mm. And it's one thing to notice that, um, you know, when you have an interview with someone, I always think to discern anyone fully, you know, and I might be slow, but it takes me about a year. I like to, I like to witness someone through the four seasons and see them in daily life and through the ins and outs of life because it's 
it, it's easy for me, for you guys, for all of us to show up as our best selves, you know, in a podcast interview or a, or a visit, an afternoon visit, or even a two week retreat. And it's, 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 it's that longer time period of watching one another also under duress and stress and in a way allowing life to offer the challenges and then see how we all show up that allows for deeper discernment I think of both the the potential and the beautiful heightened states we can access um, and, and our potential as humans but also you know our shadows and what what kind of trauma trips each of us up and where is it hardest for each of us to stay regulated when we are in the middle of tension? Mm -hmm. I, I have a very felt sense of what we're describing in this conversation, um, but not a, a lot of words to describe it. I mean, like people are looking for us included are looking for some sort of rule set or a set of projects or, or a, a set of values that can be um, documented and then discussed in a group and, you know, create some sort of operating system for this thing. And maybe that's a little bit more my thinking about it than UV's, but um, there's something about this that to me, the word that comes to mind is like, is space and listening. Um, you know, we've been studying and discussing the the concept of stigmergy, this, this, um, process of how you engage with the environment and what the what kind of consciousness the environment will put you into just naturally by engaging with it and what keeps coming back to me is is that the goal of a community is really about community it's about raising children it's about having space to develop the individual into something um more than than what it is and develop the community um and to be both a retreat but also like a a lab or a workshop to build. Um, so yeah, there's something about having no goals in this kind of environment that to me is very attractive. That seems um, to be the right kind of breeding ground. Do you know what I mean? Like to not have an end goal for this village, but to be in process in the village rather than a state that everyone gets to in the end, like to be in the process of being a villager. I love that. Um, you know, I often talk about that we are we are two things as as humans. We're human beings and human becomings. And in a way, uh, you know, when you said, you know, it's like looking at the village as something that is becoming while it is also being. And I didn't mention this at the beginning, but the the twofold focus of Morningstar community was what we just spent a little bit of time on. And then simultaneously, it was um, our sense that there there are we need we literally need to ground the this this vision this potential that so many are feeling that life on earth can be more wholesome it can have greater integrity it can be it can be connecting your spirit and your mind and your body and your soul and your hands and your will um, it doesn't need to be so pulled apart in many directions there there is there's a wholesomeness that is possible and um and so the, the the sort of the big second lens we had on that decade of living together with others was how can, you know, ideally each moment become an expression of that? In a way, how can doing the dishes be a prayer? How can changing your child's diaper be meditation? How can growing a garden together 
give rise to that sense of both agency and communion combined, even without words. Um, like how can it actually land? Because there is quite a bit I find uh, of theory and visioning and ideas and dreams, and that's all beautiful. And I think that's often where new stages of development in humanity start, right? It's often the artists are picking up on things and starting to put them in image and music and movies. Um, but as we see what's happening around the globe, if anything, it feels like it's becoming more and more pressing that we can start bringing that, those dreams, those visions, those hopes of a saner version of how we live together, that we could bring these to earth and, and give them hands and feet and, and land them in a way. And so, um, yeah, a, a large motivation for the work Steph and I have been engaged in now for, for a long time has been, can we help create living examples, living, breathing, dynamic, evolving um, examples? Like villages is a word we've used a lot. Like, can we, can we create sane villages that um, offer a, in a way, it's like if someone comes to visit, it doesn't have to get um, conceptual. It's it's almost a remembering because the knowing that it's possible actually already lives in all of us. So it's much more a, an offering of a cellular experience um, and a sense in a way, I know it can sound a little cliche, but like a sense of coming home, right? Can, can, can the, with, yeah, I think I've, I've said enough for now around that. There's there's something to me about the uh, about the philosophy of stoicism that is super relevant here when it comes to state and process. Like there's, you know, in discussing in discussing uh, these different eco village or intentional community um, processes with other people who have started them, I do see a lot of crossover when it comes to like envisioning this idealistic wholesome community and like holding to some sort of vision and then creating bureaucracy to try and enforce that vision. And then the inevitable disappointment and fights and all that kind of stuff when people fail to achieve that mission, when individuals and the community both fail at it. And so applying stoicism to this, there's this sense of everything there is a project and it can be an attractive project, it can be something fun that we can come together and work on as we're attracted to it but there's no need for it to succeed. Um, and we're not trying, we're not like matching ourselves up to some vision that that is impossible or incredibly difficult to achieve. Just being there and working on the environment is enough. So that that's where, where I'm trying to go with this is like th these heightened expectations about places like this, I think contributes to the failure of them. Would you say that's true? There's two things I'd like to mention. Um... I'd say yes, and I'm gonna, it's yes and because I think there is a, there's a certain benchmark we've reached that we can fairly predictably manage as humans, right? We actually have societies, we have civilizations that, you know, work. There's tons of problems, but I'm always amazed. I mean, have you ever had that thought you go to a city and you're like every day it's like functioning and you're like, how the, how on earth is this working? Like, there's so many parts that need to play together for this thing to actually work and not fall into chaos. And I think, you know, if, if anything, this last year has maybe shown us how quickly things could move into chaos, especially in, in, uh, in our sort of 
area of the world, like mostly things work quite well. So I think there's some things we can kind of, you know, there's some places where you can go, no, this type of living together we can manage. Um, where there are basically rules and regulations of how you need to behave so that, you know, you don't go at each other and you behave well and people have enough individual freedom and can do what they want to do. The, there, there is something that I think is calling, I think it's actually calling from the future. I love that your uh, podcast is called Future Thinkers. Like, I actually think one can be in relationship to the future. And the future is, is sometimes whispering, sometimes nudging, sometimes calling a possibility that is actually, it's, it's different, it's new, it is of a different order. And... And that's why I said yes, and because, because when something's really new, like it, t- it takes everything we have and then some more, I wouldn't want to shrink that down and just go, well, we're just going to kind of bumble along and we'll figure it out. And this is just how it is. We're just messy humans. Like, and I agree. I actually agree with that. But I want to add the and, and. I, I feel deeply in myself um, and I've experienced it in pockets and in moments and in certain connections and relationships. And I, I'm really passionate about this, that, that there is a, there's a culture that we can create together where we can actually work with those messy, chaotic, um, in a way, vulnerable human aspects of who we are without losing the, the, the vertical stretching and we can take this further kind of energy. Um, and that's, that's what I'm curious about where it's not in a way flattening to, well, this is as good as it's going to get. So let's not have those high expectations and also not um, getting so hung up on, you know, I don't want to deal with the messiness of, of human collectives. So I just want to kind of hold on to this ideal and never get there. It's like, can we actually bring those two together and I do think we can. And I think we do have a lot of um, insights and ingredients at our fingertips of how we can make that happen. You know, when when I'm describing this, I'm realizing as well that there might be something uh, off about how I'm describing it or, or like, well, you know, when I make that sort of stoic practice primary in my consciousness, you know, remind myself not to be attached to the result, um, and kind of find some even ground of just comfort with where I am. There's this other part of me that starts engaging more strongly than than ever before, which is the um, the compulsion to do something fun or engaging or to build or you know to kind of clear out the bullshit of all the things I'm worrying about and and stressed about, and then go for the the thing that's most awesome that I could be doing. And you know. F- for the moment right now it's about building a village like building environments building um building stuff with you know cnc machines and 3d printers and stuff like that and like learning autocad and all of this stuff like that when i chill out and stop stressing about things that becomes primary and i don't know if that's for other people like do you two share that experience at all mm. i'm not sure if i'm getting it exactly the way that you describe it but uh if i were to rephrase it how it works for me i would say that when i am 
not in a state of anxiety, there's more room for emergence of my potential. Is how that, about you? Is that kind of how you meant it? It sounds like your expression of it, but yeah, mm. it sounds right. Mm. I mean, I, I would completely agree. And I think in a way you're talking about um, bringing that, you know, in my words, the horizontal, in a way that the compassion, the love, the warmth, the, it's already okay. You're already unconditionally allowed to be who you are. Like it gives such a relaxation to the system. Um, so in a way that is the, I think that is the intrinsic human ground upon which we thrive. And this goes all, all the way to attachment theory and what your little guy is, is hopefully experiencing, right? Is like this big welcome mat to him of like, welcome to this earth. We're so glad you're here. Um, you know, like a deep sense of safety and appreciation and joy that he exists. And from that then naturally springs the emergent nature of the human being to try out things, to discover. If he didn't have that, he wouldn't be out exploring. He'd be much more concerned about, am I accepted? Am I, am I attached? Am I allowed to exist here? So I think that um, what you were describing for me is very much actually bringing those two together. And, and this is where I think the, the, the kind of culture or the containers that we need to um, inhabit together to allow both that vertical emergent evolutionary spirit to come about and the sense of safety and relaxation and well-being, they're, they're truly, they need each other. One without the other is actually uh, makes the whole experiment impossible. And, and that's where I think a, that's where I think we have so many tools now, like it's a psycho spiritual approach. You know, if you want to, in, in a way, the, the horizontal is like, what do we psychologically need to be well as humans within ourselves and with each other? The spiritual um, impulse in a way is, and how can we keep waking up and how can we keep um, becoming more conscious and more creative and, uh, how can we be more innovative? And the, they, one without the other doesn't work. Well, I think we've seen so many um, examples where one with the other I, really doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm, I'm getting it. It's the, you know, the kind of uh, ideas about what makes humans grow. One set is... Maslow's hierarchy of needs it's like well we need to have all of these different needs met on all these different levels and then we can self-actualize and self-transcend and then the other theories is more the um uh, Claire Graves spiral dynamics where like it takes a crisis to make somebody tran transition to the next stage and I think it's not either or it's both and as I was just gonna say it's you know in in my uh view it takes both what I call challenge and support for a human being to thrive. And if there's too much support, as in it's all here, it's all given, there's not enough friction, there's not enough stress on the system, um, one can become complacent and, um, and stagnant. And if there is too much challenge and too much stimulus and too much expectation, then one can get completely stressed out. <laughs> And, and, you know, that kind of collapses too. And, and the interesting thing is the, the particular 
combination of how much support and how much challenge any human being needs at any point in time changes, even within a day and within a lifetime. So a, a newborn, in my view, really, that first year is mostly just about support, offering support, big doses of support, because there's already plenty of um, inherent challenges, as in suddenly you're a human in a body and you have to learn how to digest and how to deal with different temperature and, you know, the, and, and, and how to move and coordinate. And there's so many challenges, you really don't need to add any other to the mix. So the parenting in that first year is like, here you are, sweetheart, you know, let, let us support you as much as possible. Um, but then if, if, if it stays like that, you would see a child would actually not develop optimally if there was never any challenge. And then there's the other version where a lot of children are overly challenged way too soon and then there is a shutdown and there is um, often um, some really sad consequences from that too. Definitely yeah. both. Yeah. Hmm. This is um, interesting because it, it's we're getting into the territory of you know this stuff starts very early we talk about building communities for adults who already have their attachment style who already come with their you know baggage and their trauma and their childhood de development um and how to manage all those different things you know between people who come from different backgrounds um it can be difficult, you know, but if we talk about sort of starting from scratch and how do we raise children, both as parents and as a community, it's to me, it seems like that's a bit of a different thing because we aren't coming with that baggage. Well, we have our own baggage, but, you know, the new person is not necessarily coming with that baggage. Yeah, I, I love the different lenses that you're lighting up there, because in a way, for me, one of the key lenses in building a village, building a community is to take on the lens of what, what kind of village is most conducive to a child growing up and thriving and flourishing so that they don't need to get over their childhood, so that their childhood is actually a foundation from which they can grow and develop optimally from. Um, and I think it's a beautiful lens because you're looking through the lens of a, a little person that is a human. And so everything that is part of a village in a way is part of that human. And it, it, it offers in a way a very uh, refreshed look at everything. And in a way, I think whenever you're creating a village, you have this opportunity, same with when you're creating a family, to recreate culture, to look at everything that has we've brought with us but rather than doing secondhand parenting or secondhand villaging or secondhand community building you get to in a way look at everything and go you know are we going to bring it to the dump are we going to recycling it or are we going to um take it along and and to do that with our habits with our ways of engaging with each other with our ways of raising children with our ways of growing food, of dealing with conflict and communication and technology, et cetera, et cetera. Like everything that, that we bring, we can go, is this something, yeah, that needs transformation? It needs a little tweaking, it needs recycling, or is it really something we actually leave behind? Um, and then what is what is new? What is, what is emergent in that space? So that lens I think is absolutely gorgeous looking through the eyes of what would be what kind of village would be conducive for the child I think it's an excellent lens to have and at the same time to remember a child could be raised as consciously as ever and it 
perfection does not exist. It literally, I've never seen it. I don't think it exists. I actually don't think that's the point. Um, so to remember that, and that can actually relieve a bit of stress also, you know, because otherwise it can be like, oh my God, we're never going to get this village right. Um, and you have, of course, adults who, like you pointed out, UV have had their own childhood and come with their own luggage. And so there, I think it's much better to assume that there will be challenges and struggles and problems. It's much better to assume that rather than to go, we are going to create this village where everything is picture perfect and nobody ever behaves off. And, you know, much better to assume because I have never met a single person um, without shadow and I've never met a single person without some trauma. I think being human means that we are somewhat traumatized. Um, and it, it definitely means that we have shadow. And so if we could just pre-assume that and then get much more interested in, and now how are we gonna work with that? What kind of culture are we gonna create so that when these things happen and wobble the whole thing, we can work with them in a way that both, um, it doesn't push away, it actually does it on a foundation of love and kindness and compassion because one person's stuff is not really just their stuff, it's actually everybody's stuff. How can we um, yeah, really come at it from a, a place of, of love and connection? And then um, because it's on the base of connection, actually be also quite clear and concise and, um, and forthright, like very open and direct about you know, how to work with it. And I think we often um, hesitate with the directness and the clarity because, um, because there's an association with, with giving direct feedback or receiving it of separation. But what if that didn't need to be the case? And the culture was actually, again, bringing two things together that are usually, you know, it's almost like the energy of yes, of connection, of enthusiasm, of I get you, of empathy. It's kind of over here and the energy of clarity and feedback and truth and boundaries, uh, you know, is, is kind of over here. And I always think, no, we need to do this. You actually, the, the basis is unconditional seeing, hearing, uh, receiving, being present to one another. And then the nose, the boundaries, the clarity, the feedback is just placed as needed but within this much bigger container. And that is something I think we don't see hardly at all. Um, and I think it's a huge thing in parenting and relationship and then in village building too. All right, we're gonna stop here. And in the second part of the interview, we focus on parenting as a spiritual practice. To access the full interview with Miriam Martineau, become a Future Thinkers member at futurethinkers.org members. To find all the links and show notes for this episode, go to futurethinkers.org 134. And to help us with the property search for the Future Thinker Smart Village, go to futurethinkers.org slash land search. We'll see you in the next episode. If you like this content, you might want to check out our seven ways to adapt to the future guidebook. Get it for free at futurethinkers.org slash sign up. You might also want to check out our Future Thinkers membership area. We have courses there to help you adapt to the changing world, build resilience, upgrade culture and society, and create meaning and purpose in your life. As well, you'll get access to our community, all of our unreleased content, private Zoom calls, live Q&As with guests, workshops and events, and more. Just go to members.futurethinkers.org. 
And if you enjoyed this video, please like, share, and comment. It really helps out our show more than you know. And if you want more like it, then subscribe and hit that bell icon to be notified of new videos. See you next time.